Welcome to the Church Collective Podcast. In this episode, we had the opportunity to talk to Jesse from King's Porch, and I think you are going to be absolutely blown away by a lot of the wisdom that he just brings to the table. We talk about church models, whether churches should be big or small. Spoiler, God can use all sizes of churches, and just his process for songwriting and just everything that God's doing with his house church thing with King's Porch. And man, I mean, I was super blessed by the wisdom that I got out of my conversation with him, and I think you're going to enjoy it too. Here we go. I'm a songwriter for a living. And that's kind of all I'd really know how to do. Written songs for quite a while now. And now we are pastoring uh, house churches in Austin. And we multiply once a year. So currently we're about to launch number eight. So I'll oversee eight churches and um, have one at my house every week. And I've been a part of planting two mega churches. And I'm for them. I'm for the big church. And at this point in my life, God's really calling us to go for the simple, for the, the, yeah, just the simple gathering, the Acts 2.42, you know, those that were out of the way devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, the teaching of the apostles and the prayer. And that's what our churches look like. Every one of our houses, we literally eat a meal together, read the Bible together read a whole chapter and then just talk about it and um, don't really have a teacher. We do uh, discovery Bible study questions. So read the whole chapter and then say, what does it say about God? What does it say about man? And how should we change? Yeah, that's the sa- same three questions every week for four, four years. And um, yeah, I've just learned more about Jesus. I've learned more about the Bible, um, been challenged more reading the Bible in community than I've ever learned in my life, you know, yeah. being, being under the who's who of speakers, um, nothing against that they're operating in their priesthood. Uh, yeah. unfortunately, most everybody else is not. So <laughs> sure. yeah. how's, how's that for a launching point? We can talk about any of that. <laughs> my gosh. So there's so many, like, I, I mean, from a guy like it, well, maybe we'll talk church government. Like, well, maybe not. Let's see where we can take it. Like, I love like you split every year. Like, t- talk about that. Like, what does that look like? How, how do you how do you do that? What is yeah, what what on it does that look like? Yes. Yeah, so, our goal uh, start this way. Our our I guess our goal is to what we say elevate the priesthood of the believer. Yeah. Um, and our motto is to grow smaller. Um, as soon as, as soon as you have over, really over about 20 adults in your living room, people have to start sitting on second row and third row. And it's easy for those people to come and not participate. Yeah. And as soon as that starts happening, you're losing your effectiveness. And so our goal is just to keep them small and keep multiplying. So when you multiply, um, try to stay together for a year, um, it's always loose, but during that year, you kind of identify your next two shepherds. We always send people by twos because that's what Jesus did, you know, and uh, identify the next two shepherds and disciple them for a year with the knowledge of in a year, you're going to be doing this at your house. So um, it's where we're now at a, I've thrown around the numbers since, since the very beginning, like just multiplication, you know, if you start with one on year 11, you'll have 1,024. Yeah. Um, 
and I've thrown that around like, oh, yeah, this is how math works. But now we're on year four, and I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no, this is working. Because we have eight, you know, so year one, you have one. Year two, you have two, four, eight. So next year, we should have 16, 32, 64, 128, 512, 1,024 in seven years is what we're looking at right now. So that's kind of scary because we don't know what we're doing. (laughs) So, yeah, it's just trying to raise up leaders, you know, um, I guess what I'm most passionate about right now is is really the elevating of the priesthood of the believer because Peter said, you know, in 1 Peter 2, he's talking to believers and he says, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people set apart for God's own choosing. Yeah. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's to the individual. Right. And, and, and we read that and we're like, okay, cool, whatever. But for them, that was revolutionary. Sure. Right. Cause these were guys that for thousands of years had, had to make this trek to Jerusalem and carry a sacrifice with them and stand before a priest, you know, that would do the sacrifice and give them forgiveness of sins. Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden Peter goes, Hey, by the way, because of Jesus and because of the Holy spirit, now you're a priest <laughs> and for them that was that was revolutionary right and and they took it seriously and and that's why the new testament says that there were thousands coming to know him daily because right. everybody everybody was going out into their farms and into their shops and whatever and as a priest and so people were coming to know Christ well, you come to 2023 and we have the fewest amount of people coming to know Christ in history. So what's changed? Right. I, I, I submit I submit to you what's changed is that we no longer see ourselves as priests. In fact, sure. we've kind of gone all the way back to the Old Testament. If you think about it, we all gather, we all come together. It's not once a year. We come together once a week and we listen to one priest and then everybody goes home and does nothing. Yeah, I was going to say, like, we, we've kind of fallen back into the model where we're expecting, you know, the church to cover the gap for us and our relationship with the Lord and what we're right. doing. Yeah. Right, so that that's our goal is to be able to look each other in the eye every week and go, hey, in fact, just like we st- after we eat a meal together, you know, we, we always pray, and then we do what we call Jesus stories, and... Every one of our houses starts every meeting that way with Jesus stories. And what that looks like is I'll say, hey, let's just go around the room real quick and uh, just tell one time this week that you got to speak the name of Jesus to somebody. Mm-hmm. And said, oh, nobody evangelized. <laughs> the, the, first, the first four months of that was the most painfully awkward thing you've ever been a part of in your life. That's Suddenly everybody has to retie their shoes, you know? Yeah. So so they're not making eye contact. Right. But but now four years into it, it's part of our culture and people are starting to speak the name of Jesus, you know. Um it's you know, the the song I Speak Jesus, for example, that was yeah. written that was written to give our people motivation to go speak the name of Jesus to people. Yeah. And 
and it's just it's it's mind blowing to me when people send me that song all over the world, you know, because I'm that was not the that wasn't the goal, but now it makes me super happy, you know. I I was do uh when that song was out, you know, on the last record, I would do radio interviews and the record label would always get mad at me because I would tell DJs I was like, hey, I don't even care if you play the song. <laughs> no, no, no. I I don't care. What would be more beneficial is if you, as a DJ, would speak the name of Jesus into people's cars and into their office buildings and into their homes. Because when you speak the name of Jesus, there's power in it, you know? And yeah. so that's always been my encouragement. So, yeah, that's the motivation behind the song more than the song itself, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, so, so talk a little bit, like, how did King's Porch, like, wh- where did that get birthed from this? Um, so King's Porch is, is the name of our house churches. Um, sure, sure. But yeah, like, um, in the recordings, I mean, by apologize. Well, yeah, it's the name of our house church because when we when we started it, um, and let me just say this, let me clarify, I'm not against the mega church. I've been a part of planting two of them. Sure. You know, there's yeah. one in Austin called the Austin Stone that started in my living room. Then wow. we helped start Passion City in 2008. Like, I'm for it. I'm for anywhere the gospel goes out. What we're called right to right now is small gatherings, elevating the priesthood of the believer. The name comes from three times in the New Testament. It talks about Solomon's portico. In fact, in Acts chapter 3, where that's the first miracle Peter ever did, um, where the, the guy is, it says he's lame from birth, and they bring him and they lay him at the, at the gate of the temple every day, and he's asking for money, right? And that's the, that's the famous, you know, where Peter walks in and he asks the guys for money, and Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Yeah. And he, he stood up and everybody went crazy, and it says, and they all gathered together on Solomon's portico. Yeah. So I had a little note in my Bible outside Solomon's portico where it said the king's porch. Yeah. And I was like, my wife and I in the early days were like, man, what if that's what church was? What if we, you know, had a meal, prayed for each other, read the Bible together, but something outside the walls of like the traditional church, like they were just outside on the porch, where people still believe that there's power in the name of Jesus and people still believe in healing and people still believe in the Holy Spirit, you know? Yeah. I'm just praying for, praying for miracles from house to house. And that's kind of the heart behind it. And honestly, when we started it, that was in my three-year dark period, which we don't have to talk about, but I had a three-year <laughs> so dark now, period. Now we're going to have to now. <laughs> yeah. No, we're not going to talk about it. No, I had a three-year dark period where I didn't, I didn't write, I didn't do music, I didn't, yeah, yeah. I didn't listen to worship music, I didn't allow my kids to listen to worship music. It was, they would, they would listen to it like they were doing cocaine, you know, like with a, with a lookout, you know, Dad's coming home, turn, turn it off, <laughs> you know. So they're gonna all end up in counseling at some point, but at least we're open and honest about it. Um, <laughs> No, but so when we started the church, it never, ever did we think we were going to put out records, you know, yeah. ever. Um, but, you know, I write for BEC and um, 
I early on I said, hey, one of these days, I don't know when, but one of these days I want to put out a record called Songs for the Simple Gathering. You know, it it didn't even have to be called King Sports, but I just when I read the statistic that ninety percent of churches in America have less than three hundred people, I was super uh I guess the word's convicted. Yeah. That that for twenty years I've been a part of an industry that creates a product for ten percent of the churches. Yeah. If that makes sense. Because most most of modern worship songs, again, I feel like I'm just constantly disclaimer. I love modern worship music. I love it. I write it. You know, I, I write with Brandon Lake. Like he's a good friend of mine. But I will say this, I can't play Graves in the Gardens on my back porch with an acoustic guitar. Yeah, sure. You you need to have a drummer that's going, dun, 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 you know, like big electric hits. When you do that on an acoustic, you're like, it just doesn't translate. So I went to BC early on. It's like one of these days, I just want to write simple songs. Like I, I want, I still haven't done it yet. I keep trying. I want to write a song like I Love You, Lord. Yeah. Like the old schools, Lord, you are more precious than silver, um, that are just timeless and people can do on an acoustic guitar around a campfire. And it turns out, even for a professional songwriter, writing simple songs is really, really hard to do. <laughs> so we're... I keep trying, haven't done it yet. Um, you know, I speak Jesus at its core as a simple song, but it's still not I Love You, Lord. There is the last song on our new record is probably the closest I've come. Um, it's called All My Days, and it's just, it's super simple, and it's probably my favorite so far, yeah. just because it's getting closer to the target. All that to say, like, my heart right now is is trying to write songs that, a little bitty church with a music minister and acoustic guitar can play them and they translate. Yeah. What I'd, I'd love to like, so that like a simple song is something that could work well. Like, because like listening to your album, it seems like, well, oh, that should work. It's a simple song. Like I'd love to hear you unpack a little more. Like, you know, what, what, how, what, how would you know? Like, you know what that is? It's like, I got it. I wrote a simple song. Like what, what would be the hallmarks of it? It's real hard not to write like the big, uh, the big, huge anthemic bridge. Yeah. Um, because it's in all of us and that's the release that we want, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to war against that. And I still, my favorite thing to write when I write songs is a big anthemic bridge. I love it. Yeah. You know, even the first song on the record, God is in this house has a big bridge. We, but production wise, we don't, we don't have electric guitar, not because I don't like electric guitar. It's because we're trying to resource people that don't. Um, yeah. Uh, we don't have a drummer, right? In fact, when you listen to God is in this house, the thing that sounds like a snare, like the tapping brush thing, is a guy playing brushes on a surfboard. Yeah. And again, it's not because I don't have access to a snare drum. I could get one pretty easy. But it's because we're trying to just put out music that you don't have to have all the bells and whistles to be able to pull it off in your church. Yeah. You know, there because there's lots of resources for those. Sure. Again, on forum, 
but we're leaving out 90% of the churches. So we're, our goal is to try to equip the small church with simple songs. Yeah, that's great. You talk, you talk a little bit like what, um, what encouragement might you have? Like I can hear, or hear, I can, I can visualize worship leaders like, like, hey, like, let's say this and, and being like all in on it, but kind of they're already a part of the system, um, needs all the big stuff. Uh, you know, maybe a, some like tactical encouragement for like how they might be able to lead or how they might be able to write to maybe guide their church a little away from all the high production. Again, love the high production too, but like to, to maybe help that not become the thing that, that their church is so reliant on. Well, I mean, first of all, it would take an, an enormous amount of courage yeah. because uh, a big, awesome band um, is a is a pretty good safety net. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. makes you feel it makes you feel more confident. It would take a lot of courage to just give your band a week off and get up there with an acoustic and just see what happens. Yeah, just ask God. As a songwriter. Uh, that's a really good question. And the only thing I can answer is like through personal experience, what I, what I encourage songwriters to do is to write for the small, write, write with an individual in mind, like somebody in your church that's dealing with the death of a child, for example, um, which I know that gets real heavy real fast, but Right. My ex- my experience has been when I write songs to try like Jesus, what how how would you encourage this family that's going through this? Like help me help me write a song that I can just text to this person to encourage them. When it's when a song is birthed like that, I feel like God oftentimes will blow on it to the big. Yeah. Sure. Like if it works in the small, it will work in the big. Yeah. But conversely is not true. I've written I've written a thousand songs that I think, man, this thing will kill in an arena. Yeah. And and nobody has ever heard those songs. <laughs> right? They just stay in a file on my computer. So I feel like when I aim for the big, you miss both of them. But if you aim for the small, there's a chance you'll hit both of them. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, that's great. I'd love, I'd love to hear too, like for your having been in so much ministry and like seeing so much, um, it seems like a lot of times like for you to like go from the big to the small and like to still have like a heart for the Lord, like that, that's a big thing now is a lot of guys coming from big church kind of just go completely off the deep end and don't want to have anything to do with God anymore. Like I'd love to hear like how have you just kind of fostered your relationship with the Lord through, you know, kind of saying like, just, I guess longevity and ministry is becoming a more rare, rare thing. And here we are, but like, yeah, well, what have you got? No, I can, I can, again, it's just my personal experience is yeah. that when I, when I got, I always say when I pulled the ripcord, when I pulled the ripcord and just parachuted out of the, you know, the big, yeah, I went back. I actually went back to work at the Austin Stone. This was in in the dark years that I was talking about, um, <laughs> with no worship music. I was the family pastor there um, over kids and students for what six, seven campuses. Yeah, and just you know, just working at a church. 
And my wife, uh, Janet, she's anybody that knows us, like she's just a better human than I am. Um, it does and she, wives, right? Yeah. But she's, she's super like dialed into prayer. You know, uh, I'm working on being a better prayer, but I'm, I'm just not a great prayer. I love to study the Bible. I love to read the Bible. I'm not a great prayer and I'm trying to, and, but she hears from Jesus. She hears from the Holy Spirit. And so she came to me in 2017 and she said, Hey, Jesus told me something this morning and you're not going to like it. (laughs) And I was like, okay. And she goes, uh, yeah, Jesus told me that you have to quit going to church for one year. And I was like, what? That doesn't make sense. Why? And she goes, he told me that you have been paid to be a Christian since you were 15 years old. And it's going to take you a year to figure out who Jesus is again. Yeah. And so I did. I took that as the word of the Lord from her and I quit working at the stone and quit going to church for a year and just, we would read the Bible together, um, with our family. And then, you know, I told you about Acts 242 was pivotal for us. Um, first Corinthians 14 says, when you gather together, brothers, everyone should bring a word, a teaching, a prophecy, a tongue, or a song. It says it. It says it in there. Right. <laughs> and we we don't like we we just kind of brush over that. Well, that's not talking about church. No, it's specifically talking about church. When you gather together, every person should bring a word, a teaching, a prophecy, a song or a tongue, a, a song or a tongue. So really it was during that year that just reading the Bible and going, "Okay, like really what did Jesus do?" What did Jesus want us to do? What did he tell us to do? And what would it look like if we actually tried that? Yeah. And so that's kind of where we are right now is, um, you know, the the buzzword right now is deconstruction. You know, everybody likes to talk about de- deconstructing. And <clears throat> it's it's a danger if you start deconstructing Jesus. Yeah. Um, well... That's going to be a way deeper conversation, but I I don't I don't necessarily think it's wrong with deconstructing what you see in the Bible to to be the definition of church. Sure, you know I I agree. And and most of the people just I'll just touch on it real quick. I do have several friends that have walked away from Jesus, and. The saddest part of that to me is I think that I think that people that deconstruct all the way, you know, and leave Jesus behind is because so much of their relationship with with Christ was based on a man. Yeah. And that man ends up disappointing them or letting them down and they can't separate Jesus from that man. Every one of my friends that have walked away from Jesus is because they've been really hurt by a pastor or a man. Right. And so, you know, I don't think they're gone forever. I pray for them, but my goal with them is to go, hey, 
that man that let you down is human. Right. You know, and that's going to happen. But, but what about Jesus? Just always bring it back to Jesus. What about Jesus? What, how did Jesus handle this situation? And so while I'm not always on board with it, uh, I do think a healthy level of it is, is okay. Yeah. And, and God meets us when we, you know, I think God wants us to, you know, not fight him, but like, you know, wrestle with truth and wrestle with scripture and actually like open our Bibles. And, and right. Because, yeah. Yeah. So we rely on our pastor to tell us what the Bible says and we don't read it ourselves. It's, yeah. It's like when, when, when Paul says, I know whom I'm, whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep me. Yeah. Like that's a different level of knowledge. That comes from the struggle and the question. I mean, John the Baptist, for crying out loud, in prison was like, hey, can you send a message to Jesus and ask him if he really is who he said he is? That's <laughs> Jesus's cousin, right? He was questioning that and ended up dying for his faith. You know what I mean? But a healthy level of questioning is okay. God's not scared of your questions. Right. And and in that time, in my year off, I asked a bunch of questions, and Jesus proved himself true to me. Yeah. So now now I'm just kind of like doubling down on the whole thing. There you go. <laughs> came out stronger for it, right? Like, awesome. I did come out stronger. Yeah. And I came out with like a clear vision of what God wants me to do right. instead of uh, just doing what, you know, carrying out somebody else's vision. Yeah. If that makes sense. Oh, cool. In in fact, when we started King's Porch, I had a bunch of questions like, what would it look like to multiply? What would it look like if nobody got paid, but we got to give all of our money away? Like, is that legal? Like, I like questions, like very practical questions. Yeah. And a friend of mine, friend of mine goes, well, you know, this is what Francis Chan's doing in San Francisco. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, no, I didn't know that. Now, I I knew Francis from back in the day in the passion days, but I hadn't talked to him in, you know, five years. So I just cold called him out of the blue and just kind of vomited everything that God was doing in my life. And he actually said this, the the point of this is he said, he goes, why don't you and Janet just move to San Francisco and come help us and be a part of we are church? Cause that's what we're doing. And out of my mouth without even thinking it's like my spirit just goes but you know i said because that would be way easier for me than what i feel like god's asking me to do mm. if that makes sense yeah. it it janet and i are really good worker bees you know and i yeah. i'm i'm good at carrying out somebody else's vision just fall in line and run with it <laughs> you know like they say do this and and also to move out there and work work for We Are Church, I would be valid validated by the name Francis Chan. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's easy easy to go, well, yeah, you know, I work with Francis, blah, blah, blah. And you're just <laughs> name dropping because it makes you feel like you have an identity. Yeah. When you're when you're basing it on a man. It's way scarier to go, this is what I feel like Jesus is asking me to do. You know, because it's, you, you can't, if it fails, I can't blame Francis. I can't blame Chris. If it fails, 
it's either because I didn't really hear the voice of Jesus, right? That's an option, and that's scary. Yeah. Or or then there's a theological question. Would Jesus ask me to do something that's going to fail? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. So you might, yeah. It's just way scarier to step out on your own and and, you know, all of my identity for 17 years came because I played in the Chris Tomlin band. Yeah. You know, if we're going to be honest, like that was probably the the main source of my dark years was an identity crisis. Sure. You know, of not being able to hang my identity on Chris Tomlin or on Passion or on Louie. Like all of a sudden it's just me and Jesus. And is that enough? You know, I mean, there's probably people listening to your podcast that if they're honest with themselves, their identity's found in the name of their church right? or in the name of their pastor. Yeah. And it's just, I don't fault people for that. What I, what I say is that we have a very, very crafty enemy. You know what I mean? And it doesn't matter if you're at a house church or if you're at a if you're at elevation. It's the same enemy and and he has the same tactics. And if you can find your identity in you know, in the name of the church or in the name of the pastor or in your role as the worship leader, then he has a foothold in your life. Yeah. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> I love. It. I mean, yeah. Uh, maybe to pivot a little bit, I'd love to hear just kind of a little bit of the process. Like you said, you're playing on a surfboard for percussion and stuff. Like, give me a little bit of like the recording process and the you know putting the album together. Like, what? Clearly, we're trying to make it accessible, um, but maybe just some advice because I'm I'm sure that could be really exciting for people listening. Saying like, you mean I don't need to go spend you know thousands and thousands of dollars on all these other like maybe give some advice for somebody that might want to do something similar oh yeah well i can say it's it's been two different processes the first process we literally recorded in the room that i'm sitting in right here yeah you know uh minimal gear on the first record the snare sounds or whatever it's not even a snare sound the the two and four beat (laughs) um is it was a thought I had it up here. It's a leather Samsonite suitcase, like from the 60s, that was my wife's grandfather. And we found out, like, when you did that on it, it sounded really rad. Yeah. So that was, like, the main snare sound. Um, and we did it all here. Then the next record, uh, the one that we're supposed to be talking about right now, but <laughs> I'm, I'm actually always really bad about talking about records because I really just want to talk about church and the Bible. Um, uh, we're here for it. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the, there's a church, a huge church in Austin called Austin Ridge. And some of my really good friends are worship pastors there and they have an amazing studio. So we actually got to use good gear on this record. Yeah. But we had to go into this space with good gear, with a mindset of, we're not just going to use all the bells and whistles because they're accessible. Right. We still want to make the record that we want to make. So, you know, it's also way easier to get a professional 
Nashville session player to play all the acoustics. Yeah. But we're like, no, you know what? They're not paying us. They're not making us pay for this studio space. So instead of that, let's let, let's let this guy that's not a professional, let's give him 10 passes yeah. on this acoustic part instead of just farming it out because it's easier. Sure. And then it also gives your people ownership, you know? Oh, when, yeah. When, when you let your guys play on a record and let them have ownership on it, first of all, it's going to sound better. It's going to yeah. sound more, well, better is subjective. It's going to sound, it's going to sound more like your church and more like your people, which sure. is going to make, give you better buy-in from not only your band, but from your congregation. Yeah. You know, first thing, whenever a church gets a budget to make a record, they'll go, okay, all right, let's go to Nashville and get all these guys that are session players. And then all the records start sounding the same. Right. Yeah. You know? Uh, not not to mention how, uh, like I've known guys that have done that and then regretted it because like they, they leave your team behind and then they're like, oh, cool, you brought, like, why would you not use your team, <laughs> like your people on it? Yeah, that's great. Right. And, and you know, you got to get a producer and it's a, it's, it is a lot more work for a producer to pull the best out of your guys. So that's that's why I think that's the most important part of it. I mean, the my buddy Steve produces our records a because we write together almost every day, but b because I can go, bro. No, we're using we're using this guy on acoustic, and we're gonna do what it takes to get the best out of it. Yeah, that's great. You know, no, we're not gonna overdub that snare sound. We're gonna use a surfboard. You know. <laughs> It's just one of those things. It, it probably doesn't matter in the end, but it's just so much part of my DNA that I want to do something different. Sure. Kidding. Yeah. So what, um, love to hear, like, what, what is the Lord teaching you lately? That they even just like, what recently, like, what, what are you reading? What, what's God been impressing on your art? Like, it's always cool to kind of see just how the Lord's moving in and through everybody. I'd love to hear just kind of what recently, so what, what's God been impressing on you? Yeah, that's easy. Um, because we're we're going through First Corinthians in our church right now, and yeah, uh, you know, four years in, we've gone all the way through the Book of Acts, the Book of John, Book of Mark, Book of Colossians, Galatians. Now we're on First Corinthians, and yeah. it's it's funny. It's it's just not a coincidence that four years in, that's what we're going through because Corinthians is just correcting everything. So <laughs> it's like you can't read it and go, "Oh man." We're guilty of that. We're guilty right. of that. But I will say this. The one thing that the message that keeps coming back is how much Paul, like I love when Paul says, and, and context in Corinth, like they are in the, the city like with so much thought and, you know, philosophy and big trade city. Like, and Paul says, I choose to preach Christ and Christ crucified. Yeah. And that is kind of what we're anchoring on right now is mm -hmm. that, is that so, you know, Jesus's last prayer in the garden of Gethsemane was father, make them one as we are one. And the church is the most divided institution on the planet, right? That's Jesus's final prayer. And we are so divided. So our message now is learning how to come together 
with people that don't see things the way you see them and don't interpret scripture the way you interpret them. Yeah. And go, okay, can we agree on Christ and Christ crucified? Then if we can, then we're one church. Yeah, that's a hard and, lesson. <laughs> and and we're for you. You know what I mean? Like, I, and bro, can I, I just bring it all the way down, you know, to the grassroots. One of the uh, un, I don't even know the word I'm looking for. One of the benefits of the house church that we did not expect is that half, literally, my not all the houses are this way, but at my house, half the people that come to my house are Catholic. Yeah. That's interesting. Man, there's a one family that comes. They're uh, from uh, yeah, Gummit, South America, uh, not Chile, um, Colombia. They're from Colombia. Yeah, right. Raised like you know, strict Catholic church. Their whole family got saved on my back porch. Wow. Like it was unbelievable. And afterwards, I was talking to him. I was like, "Bro, like that's awesome that you ended up in my house." I was like. Would you have ever gone to the Austin Stone? Right. And he, he goes, no way, man. And I was like, I go, why? And he goes, because that's a Baptist church. <laughs> and I said, well, what would you say if I told you that the Austin Stone started in my living room? He goes, you're Baptist? And I was like, actually, no. <laughs> no. Like, he's no like, I follow Jesus. But one of the benefits that we're seeing is... It's a, in your living room, it's a safe place to not have labels and walls and denominations. And you're Catholic. Can we agree on Christ and Christ crucified? Great. Right. If you're whatever stream you're from, we've got a bunch of people that are super charismatic and people that are like super conservative. And, and we're like, okay, let your discussions be happy, like healthy. But realize that we're brothers and sisters, and it and just because you don't agree with them doesn't mean you have to leave and go somewhere else. As it turn, it turns out that this book also says that there's one church and there's one Lord and there's one baptism, right? So that's the message. That's a really long answer to the question you're asking. No, it was fantastic. Yeah. Our our goal right now is we're really striving for unity, and even being for, like. Big churches, even if we don't agree with their theology perfectly, just go. Yeah. No, we're for we're for you, we're we're for you. We'll pray for you. You know, right. in the event that somebody gets mad at us and leaves, we're like, hey, give us one more Sunday so that we can lay hands on you and and pray for you and bless you and send you to another church, because yeah. there's one church, right? Like, That's we're not gonna church. allow you. We're not gonna allow you to leave mad. We're gonna bless you as you go. Because you're just, you may be going from, you know, the shoulder to the knee, but we're all one body. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it, my, my mind immediately goes to like, like the, the, for all these Catholics would be coming because people are actually like talking about Jesus and inviting them to join, right? Rather than like the marketing that, that we can all fall trapped to going into. Like, that's just, that's awesome. That, that's exactly right. Um, You know, when we started, when we went. Janet and I actually went to San Francisco and stayed with Francis and Lisa for like four days and just asked them questions, what they did right, what they did wrong. And I remember asking Francis, I said, you know, I think they had 17 churches at the time. I was like, hey, so like if people go to wearechurch.com, like 
do you have a map like with a, a like a pen where all the houses are so people can find right. me? And he goes, he he looked at me like I was an idiot. And he goes, no. He's like, no, bro. And I was like, well, how do you do it? He goes, if somebody reaches out to us through the website, which is rare, but if they do, what we'll do is we'll just ask them, what part of town do you live in? And we'll put you in contact with the shepherd at that house. So that when they walk through your door, it's because they were invited. It was a relationship. It was a it was a coffee. It was a lunch. It was like, hey, yeah, come check out what we're doing. You're invited. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, maybe let's let's like little shift here from like maybe one like send off question for worship leaders. Um, well, would would you have like just some sort of encouragement for a worship leader in the midst of what they're doing? How can they help foster some of this community in their team? Um, man, I think, I think honestly, you know, I talked, I told you about Jesus stories, like asking when's the last time you spoke the name of Jesus. What's crazy is, uh, I'll, I'll ask that same question in a group of worship leaders. Yeah. You know, like when I'm, when I'm, when I'm doing a songwriting thing and it's all worship leaders, right. I'll say, Hey, before we start this session, let's go around and just tell one time this week that you spoke the name of Jesus to somebody. And it's equally as, in fact, it may be more painfully awkward because it's a bunch of professional Christians. Yeah, sure. But my encouragement to uh, to a worship pastor is kind of A, what I've already said, like your identity is not found in the name of your church and it's not found in the name of your pastor that you're linked yep. to. Your Your identity is as a son or a daughter of the king, yeah. first of all. And along with that, he is not impressed or concerned by what you do. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, he, no, that's great. I, I'm not saying it doesn't make him happy. Like sure. it, it, it totally can make him happy, but he doesn't love you more because you're a worship leader at a church with 10,000 people. Yeah. He, not, not one bit. In fact... I would say, like, I mean, this is a whole nother conversation. How long are we going to go? It's like, it's like, you know, we've been studying Genesis, but it, like Genesis 1 is crazy that it says that there, it says, and there was evening and morning the first day, and there was evening and morning the second day. And I've read that since I was a kid and never thought, wait a second, it should be there's morning and evening. It always starts with evening. <clears throat> well, there's, you know, just recently been studying the Bible through an Eastern perspective, through a Jewish perspective, and what they teach is that that the the Torah was written to to the Jews after slavery. Yeah. So, for four hundred years of slavery, a Jew's identity and their self-worth was based on what they could produce because yeah. they were brick makers. So your value as a human was how many bricks you could produce in a day. Yeah. So when, when God told his story to Moses and said, I want you to write this down, he said, I want you to write down there was evening and morning the first day. 
And what the, the rabbis teach is the reason they teach that is to tell people that God, like your value to God is not in what you can produce. And your value to God is really comes with who you are when you're at rest. Yeah. When you lay your head on the pillow to sleep at night, that's that's when you need to listen to what God says about you. Yeah. That's when you that's when you can hear him say, I love you, man. I love you, daughter. I love you, son. Not for what you're doing, just I love you for who you are at rest. So number one encouragement would be to to worship leaders that your value doesn't come with what you do. Number two would be, I would encourage you to elevate your priesthood Hmm. and start speaking the name of Jesus Monday through Saturday. Not just to your team, but at your kid's soccer game or at the grocery store or at Home Depot. I mean, bro, I was at Home Depot not too long ago and I ran into a guy and we were talking right by the lawnmowers, right? Just like catching up i was like how you doing and he told me that he had just lost his job he and his wife were having to move in with her parents and i said hey bro can i pray for you yeah and he he was like yeah sure and i was like no like now like right now right. by the lawn by the lawnmowers and like walk yeah. yeah right yeah by the lawnmowers and he was like yeah and so i was like well this may be awkward two dudes standing face to face in home depot but i'm i'm gonna lay I'm going to lay hands on you and I'm going to pray for you. So I prayed for him, spoke the name of Jesus, Jesus over his family, Jesus over his job situation, you know, Jesus be glorified, blah, blah, blah. He literally called me the next day and he goes, bro, you're not going to believe this. He was like, when I was driving home yesterday, I got a call from an interview that I did and they offered me a job and I'm taking the job. I don't tell, I don't tell you that story. To go, oh, look at me, I'm awesome. Right. I, t- I tell you that story to say, like, for me, I am trying to also practice what I preach. And it is awkward for me in a Home Depot to lay my hands on somebody and pray. But what I can tell you is, if you'll fight through the awkwardness, God answers prayers because he loves when his kids speak his name over people. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. As always, head over to Instagram, shoot us a DM. We would love to connect with you. See ya.